Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. My name is Phil Strum, so happy you joined me this week. My guest this week is one of my personal favorite wrestlers and a pioneer in women's wrestling. It's Bailey. Bailey has declared herself for the Royal Rumble. She's the leader of Damage Control. She's also one of the four horsewomen who changed the face of NXT and the WWE, along with Charlotte Flair, Becky Lynch, and Sasha Banks. MVP of the pandemic era, in my opinion, as versatile of a performer, male or female, as I can think of in any era of pro wrestling. Bailey is as good as it gets. So here we go with my interview with Bailey. So thrilled to be joined today by one of my absolute favorite wrestlers, one of the odds on favorite for the Royal Rumble. It's Bailey. Welcome to Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I am so happy that you're here. Thank you. Am I really one of your favorites? Oh, oh 100%. Oh. I, I don't say that to everybody. Okay, <laughs> I've only said that to like you and Gunther so far, I think. So <laughs> oh, that's good company then. Yeah. Now I have so, to watch all your interviews so I make sure you don't I hear you I don't hear you say that to anybody else. Yeah, I don't think I've said it to anybody else. <laughs> that 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 one was the other one I know I said it during. Okay. But uh so you're you're currently the leader of damage control, as we've seen with the bloodline and with Judgment Day, this seems like it's kind of the era of uh, the group in WWE. What about this current lineup of damage control do you like and What's it like for you to have so many great wrestlers on the same team? I mean, I love it. I don't just like it. I love it. It is. I, I was actually thinking about this not too, I mean, a few days ago that I was going to make this big old sappy post about it, but um, I'll just share it here. I just think it's insane. The group of, of women that I have in this group, in this faction um, started out with EO and Dakota, obviously. And, and it's two women that you didn't get to see on the, on the main shows. Um, and they've already shown what they can do, especially EO being the champion right now. But I mean, I just thought about like meeting, um, Asuka for the first time I met her back in shimmer in like 2010 or something or 2011. And I saw her wrestle Sarah Del Rey and I was like, Oh my God, who is this? Like I, you know, I, I wasn't keeping up with, um, Japanese women's wrestling at the time. Um, to now have her by my side is incredible. She's one of my favorite opponents. Um, she's just one of the most influential women, I think, in wrestling. And then Kyrie, just somebody that is untouchable and very unpredictable and so unique in her own way to have her and be able to kind of watch her like a fly on the wall, um, see her do her thing and see where she fits in with all of us is, has been just, um, I feel so grateful. Does it make it more special that it's an all women's group in, in this era of WWE, you know, what, yeah. what, 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 what kind of makes that more special? Um, you know, because for the longest time you would only see, you know, one or two girls on the show, if that, you know, and we'd be lucky to get a women's match. We'd be lucky to get more than five minutes on the show. And now the cool thing about having an all women's faction is that we don't all have to have a match. Like, you know, you, you saw, um, EO versus Meechin, for example, the first show of the year. And, we didn't all have a match, but we were all there. We all appeared. So automatically you get five women on the show where you would just have two women otherwise, you know? And I think that's more empowering and it's more um, something for the NXT girls at least to look up to. And it's something that I have always dreamt about to have an all women's faction, you know, like a big one like this. I, I, I was happy with the three of us, but to have four or more was my ultimate goal. So this has been just a dream come true. 
so many different combinations, permutations you could go with it too. And even with like what your current direction that you're talking about for the Royal Rumble is, is if you win, you know, you go over and you challenge Rhea Ripley over on Raw. If the Kabuki yeah. Warriors win the titles, they can cross over, and all of a sudden you've got oh. sort of damage control a little bit of everywhere too. So there's so many, so exactly. many different, so many different possibilities where you yeah. can go with this. Um, you've been part of so many firsts in women's wrestling. What's it been like for you to have been such a huge part of such an important era in women's wrestling? It it, it is. I feel. Uh, I still. It's it's hard to put it into words when you really think about it. Um, I just love to talk to women coming up now and talk to women, whether it's in NXT or in other companies, you know, and and they talk about whether it's my match with Sasha at Brooklyn or um, the Iron Woman match that we had together, or it's a hell in a cell that I had with Bianca, like no matter where, where it's coming from, just to be able to kind of inspire this next generation of women is very, I don't take that lightly. And it's something I'm super proud of. And hopefully I can continue to do so. And, and the women after me can continue to do so and just get, keep giving back. It's, it's like, this is bigger than I had ever dreamed, you know? It's funny. And I, you mentioned the match with Sasha Banks at TakeOver Brooklyn. I'm sure, you, I'm sure you get to hear this all the time now. I was actually in the building for that. I did actually attend that oh, one. Okay, done. I'm sure, I'm sure everybody says that now. But uh, <laughs> uh, to me, it's kind of that gener- – it's kind of your generation Savage Steamboat. Everybody remembers where they were when they watched and what they were doing. A lapsed fan friend of mine from college told me that he helped, it helped him get back into wrestling after being out for a while. Um, and then he said to me, he's like, oh, you know, that's probably top ten all time that I've ever been to. And I was like, you know what, that's probably top five or top three for me. What was it what, it? what does it mean to you to be – what was it like to be in that match? I mean, you were in it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, it still gets me like choked up to this day. And I still have people come up to me and, and Mercedes says the same thing, you know, that uh, autograph signings out there's, uh, uh, you know, like 50% of the people bring it up and they say the same thing, whether it got him back into wrestling or it's like, man, because of that match, my girlfriend watches wrestling with me or my wife watches wrestling with me now, which is, or my daughter, you know, and I think that is so cool. I just remember the, the, the end of the match when I pinned her and it was like the bell rang. I, I just like mouthed finally, like it's finally <laughs> the stress and all the, the build to it. And just the moment of becoming a champion is finally there. Um, and it's hard to put into words whether it was like the match or the moment with the four horsewomen afterwards that really filled up that arena with the magic. It's hard to, to pinpoint where it was, but I'll never forget that. I'm so grateful for that moment that night. And for me, wrestling's all about time and place. So it was just the best combination of two characters colliding at the right time, the right story. The right city. I don't think anybody could have anticipated what that crowd exactly would have been like because when the tickets went on sale for that too, it was like uh, maybe they'll have a little piece of the building, maybe not the whole building, but right. I mean, we and sold even that the, it. we sold it out. And even the match <laughs> after it, Finn Balor and Kevin Owens, incredible match live, couldn't come close to you know topping that. So it was just a perfect combination of uh, of everything. Did you did you have an idea going into it that that's that, that it was going to be that kind of night for you? Yes and no. You know, it's kind of hard to to gauge 
how much it's going to mean to the crowd because obviously it means it's the biggest match of our lives at that point. And um, I felt the pressure just from Mercedes alone because she's kept saying to me, but also publicly, like, this is going to be the best women's match you've ever seen. This is going to be the women's match that everybody talks about. And I was like, man, you're putting a lot of pressure on it. Like that, but that was like her, you know, expectations of herself, uh, which she always lives up to. But for to have that expectation of me really brought out the best in me and really made me want to do that for her, but also for myself, which I don't think I was um, paid much attention to at that time. I was just trying to be the best to, to prove to the world that I can do it, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I didn't, Going into it, we knew we wanted to steal the show. We knew we wanted it to be special, but I, we can't gauge that it's going to mean that much to everybody. And ten years later, or eight years later, you yeah. know, we're talking about it right now. So you mentioned before uh, getting to see Oscar uh, when she was back when you were in Shimmer. When you were a new pro wrestler, who were some of the women's wrestlers that you were a fan of and looked up to? Well, like when I started on the independence. Yeah. Um, honestly, it was Candice LeRae. She because she was the um, like the only California girl at that time. So I remember seeing her and just being like, man, if I can, if I could wrestle her, if I could get over to the Southern California, that'd be really cool. I can learn a lot. Um, Sarah Del Rey was a big one. And then um, when I first started watching Shimmer DVDs, it was the the Canadian Ninjas. They were just so awesome. They, I loved their character stuff. I loved their, um, their timing in the ring. And I just loved um, their personalities and everything. Was they're they're awesome. That's uh, Portia Perez and Nicole Matthews. Right, right. I was going to ask yeah. that. I remember Nicole Matthews. I didn't remember the other name. Off the yeah, top. Portia was awesome. She doesn't wrestle anymore, but she was she's a mastermind. Yeah, and, and Nicole Matthews. I know you you kind of shouted her out when she was in the May Young Classic too, if I remember oh, yeah. that right too. Yeah. Um, oh. I know you had some sort of a connection with Stone Cold Steve Austin regarding your career. And what's it like to hear from him about your wrestling and what kind of what kind of wrestling things do you end up talking about with Stone Cold Steve Austin when it's not on like the Broken Skull podcasts? <laughs> Honestly, the first time that I I just like randomly, you know, sh- shot my shot um, one time and DM'd him and was like, hey, if you ever watch, I know you still watch the product. If you ever see anything that I could do better, um, would you let me know? And then he sent me his, he said, give me your phone number. And then he called me and we talked for like an hour. And that was literally that same night that I messaged him. And he, he told me all these things that I can, you know, it's basically just about being more aggressive and um, it's okay to be the good guy that, uh, you know, I was hugging people and giving high fives. It's okay to be the good guy and get people behind you. But when you're in the ring, you really want to turn that aggressiveness in on your opponent and engage in and focus on them rather more so than, you know, the fans at certain points in the match. And it just like started out like that. And I just was like, man, this guy is so easy to talk to. If I can be just a little, you know, a tenth of him when I get to that level, um, I'd be so happy. I'd be able to help so many people. So I think that's the best part about him is that he's so approachable. He still watches. He still loves watching. Um, and, and he just makes it, he breaks it down really easy for you to understand. One of the things I enjoy as an interviewer and as a fan is as an interviewer, I really appreciate the, what he does on his uh, broken skull sessions because he's, whether he knows it or not, he's an absolute master interviewer. He's just perfect at it. But I love when it's him sitting down and breaking down the match with somebody and he's just literally pointing out every little nuance as it goes on. I think they could make a show of just stone cold, (laughs) 
breaking down matches with people. And I think it would be, yeah. I think people would actually get a kick out of it because it's fun and he's got the personality for it, of course, too. Right. Yeah, he's so entertaining and he doesn't, you know, just sitting there, like you said, sitting there and watching him watch something is entertaining, which is not a lot of people can do. Yeah. So you were in NXT and the PC for a while. What was what was the most important way that you grew or maybe the most important thing that you learned while you were there and maybe who you learned it from? Um, patience would be the first one. Patience. And that was, um, I guess, just natural. You kind of have no choice when you're there. I mean, actually, excuse me, you do have a choice. Um, but I, I learned how to be patient there and just kind of trust the process, which was an annoying thing that all, all the coaches said at the time was like, trust the process, trust the process, trust the process. We never steer you the wrong way. And it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But looking back at it, it's like, they really, um, they really meant that. Sorry. I, I had a little runny nose. Um, you know, you really have to like shut yourself up and know that they know better and that they're getting direction from, hunter or you know upper management or whatever that is geared to you so that um yeah just listen um so i would say patience and uh leadership i really learned how to be a leader there i was obviously came up with the the four horsewomen charlotte becky and sasha and once they left you know i they got called up a year before i did and um i really learned how to be a leader then and it was Awesome. I don't think I, I don't think without that year, I would have been able to be who I am today to the full level that I am, you know, like starting a faction or being able to help these girls come to Raw and SmackDown for the first time. Just having that experience that I had in NXT, I felt confident to help them and guide them in the right direction, whether it's behind the scenes or in the ring or whatever it was at TV. And I feel like the way that NXT is now, now that it's on cable, it, it allows people to sort of have a following before they're called up to Raw or SmackDown. I feel like you were kind of the first person that sort of had that because everybody was just waiting and waiting and waiting for you to come. And, yeah. and like, every, keep, keep thinking it's going to happen. And then I, it was Brooklyn, actually, again, when, yeah. when it happened. Another show I was at, on Monday Night Raw. But, um, you know, it, it had to feel pretty satisfying to, to have that kind of a, a following, you know, sort of a grassroots following on your way in. Yeah. And I, I liked that because it was like people anticipated it. Um, I had just lost the rematch to Asuka the night, like a couple nights before yep. or something. So I think people just anticipated it. Um, but to me, it's like never, I, I can never get excited until it actually happens. So I was like, any minute they're going to, they're going to say, never mind. They're going to cut me. They're going to send me back to NXT. So like until my music hit, it wasn't real for me. Um, and then just hearing like the fans actually care that I was there. I, I always felt like a strong connection with them, but I didn't know how far it reached. And I think once we started doing shows outside of Full Sail, um, just like live event shows outside of Full Sail with NXT, then my fan base started becoming more real to me and started to see how big NXT was really getting. And then Brooklyn helped. And then, you know, with the girls up on Raw and SmackDown kind of just uh, shined a little light on me like oh there's still one more down there ready to go um, so that definitely helped that if you you know in a way that the other girls paved the way for me even though we came up together and to me you were one of about three or four MVPs of WWE during the PC in the Thunderdome 
era. Um, some of the stuff he did with Sasha Banks literally made my day sometimes. <laughs> How difficult yeah. was it to get used to that and continue being creative, having to perform in a situation like that? And did you did you kind of like learn about your own character and, and gain any more confidence during that era? Yeah, I gained so much confidence in that era. I think that as as horrible as the you know situation was and we were all having a hard time you know back at home you know it was like I've said this in interviews before but John Cena was on that first show that we did and we thought it was just going to be that one show and we were in the gym it was like me him and Daniel Bryan and we were just talking he's like well I've done everything there is to do in this company except this go out there (laughs) and perform in front of an empty arena and I was like wow so he he took it as uh you know, like something to overcome, like a new thing to overcome, because we were all kind of dreading it. And we were all kind of scared of what was going on. But once he said that, I was like, man, that is so true. If I can do this, I could do anything. So um, just that first that first show was a little weird. But I think at that time for my character, I was still brand new and being a bad guy. And I just changed characters. Um, I was kind of only get going. And I don't think people were really believing it at first or believing that I had a mean streak in me. Um, so in a way it kind of helped me where I kind of didn't have to listen to the fans and I was able to perform for them and able to do what I needed to do for my character without having to hear crickets, you know, maybe, or them saying like, yeah, right. We don't believe you go back to the hug or whatever it was. Um, it was my way of being able to do that and not have to worry about it not working. It, it just seemed to me like you were able to establish that version of yourself so well. You were able to go out on a limb. I, I think that first show might have been probably one of the first times you ever were specifically picking on Michael Cole, too, because I think he was yeah. uh, out there with Triple H, I think, on that first show, too. Yeah, it was just a weird time. Like, we kind of just – a lot of stuff was on the fly, and we kind of just had to fill time. So that a lot of that just came from, like, okay, well, it's awkwardly quiet in here, so let me just – yell at there's only one person in this arena and it's michael cole so he's getting it you know so it's just random things like that that you know makes you really think on your feet what was which was fun but then it continued anyway to see your uh antagonizing it'll never be done except he ran away to raw so (laughs) but if you win the royal rumble you get you right back then i win the royal rumble i'm coming for you michael cole (laughs) that's awesome um when you first said Ding Dong Hello, did you expect it to get the life of its own that it did and become a show and everything else? No, no, I didn't. I don't even know. I think I said it on like a dot, like a backstage, like a social thing. It wasn't even on TV and, it, and people were just tweeting it, you know, and that kind of the same thing happened with the hugger stuff. It wasn't meant to be this big character. It was supposed to be a little trait. And people just like clung to it and tweeted about it. And so the same thing with Ding Dong Hello. So I just started adding it because it it also made me laugh because it's so ridiculous. And the fact that they came to me and were like, yeah, we want to do a talk show. Like from (laughs) someone who Dusty Rhodes would sit with hours and hours to try to get some damn words out of my mouth. That was just mind boggling to me. And I miss doing those. I wish I could do them more often, actually. Talking, just jumping off that a little bit, talking about Dusty, like, what does somebody like you learn from him in that setting? Like, it's fascinating to me that you got to sit under that learning tree a little bit. Yeah, me too. I was just talking to someone about that. Like, they didn't get to learn from Dusty. Um, Yeah, if it wasn't for him, I don't think, I, I don't know. He just, 
I say it all the time and people say it all the time. Like he just saw whatever was special in you before you even realized it. So you could, he could, you know, you could line up a group of people and he's like, all right, your thing is that you, this is what's important to you. And you're like, how does he know that? Like he just felt it. And that was his connection with people. That was so rare. Um, and then he would make you work at it. So like, as much as I didn't want to uh, rely on a, a promo or a character because I was like, no, like my ring work is going to carry me. He's like, nah, baby, this is, this is going to take you to start. This is going to make you a star. And so he'd work on it and work on it. I'm like, this is terrible. He's like, no, it's good. This one thing is good. Let's work on it, work on it. So if it wasn't for him really pushing me and opening my eyes to what was in here and showing that it's okay to be yourself, then I probably wouldn't have gotten that connection with the crowd, which he had so, so dearly and still does have, you know, that's great. And you mentioned before, uh, you know, working with some of the current NXT wrestlers, you know, when you were training your, with your comeback, I think you were working with like JC Jane and Indy Hartwell and some of those people, yeah. uh, Indy Hartwell's now on raw. What are your thoughts kind of on the next crew that's, that's making their way now? Some of whom are already up, some of whom are, are kind of uh, showing what they're, they're worth on uh, Tuesday nights on USA now. Yeah, I was very, um, and I mean this in the nicest way, I was very surprised to see how well they were all doing in NXT, like just behind the scenes, because I watch the show, but you don't really get, you don't really get uh, a grasp of everything or a character or a wrestler um, by just watching the show because they they only have so much time, obviously. But uh, watching how hard everybody worked, not just the women, but everybody worked coming into the extra ring sessions and I sat in on promo classes and then uh, because I could put myself in their shoes. Like, I know this is a struggle. Like every single day, you're kind of doing the same old thing, same old thing, same old thing. Um, but to watch the ones push through and then for the girls to stay afterwards to whether it was ask me for advice or whether it was to watch what I'm doing or, or just be like, hey, I could you need me to do, get beat up. I can get in there and you could beat me up for a second. And I thought that was very awesome. Um, like you said, JC Jane, Indy Hartwell was in there with me every day. She always yelled at me cause I was late all the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, Roxanne Perez and Corey Jade, those were like my core group of girls. Um, and Kiana James, she was awesome too, to really be there. So I, I have high hopes for everybody there and just hope that they can get to Raw and SmackDown soon. Hopefully we'll see them in the Rumble so I can toss their idiots out. It sounds like the like kind of damage control South chapter or something there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the future, the, the the feeder system for damage control. So we're going to yeah, move yeah. on to something we call the three count. Now it's going to be three quick questions and your answers. So I believe I got to see uh, Finn Balor dressed as Bailey in the armory in Albany on an NXT live event uh, back when you guys <laughs> were going back and forth doing that stuff. What was yeah. your favorite Finn Bailey moment that happened in front of a live crowd? Oh, gosh. It's got to be that one and the one where I got to dress up like Finn. He had hurt his ankle, I think, the show before or something, so he, he couldn't he couldn't wrestle. So they, they were like, well, he got to dress up as you. Now you dress up as him. And he had no idea what was going on. So it was awesome to see his reaction. I love – like, I felt like a fan. I got to do Finn Balor's entrance, which we've watched millions of times in rehearsals. So I would say, like, both of those were really, really fun. Oh, that's great. I, I did get to interview him like around that time too. So I get oh, to bring okay. up this same question to him whenever, I don't even remember how many years ago that was at this point. But. Oh gosh, me either. 
six or seven. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been a while. Um, second question: What's the most fun you've ever had in a pro wrestling match? Ooh, that's a good one. There's two of them. One of them was the first time we. Uh, oh god, that's hard. So both of my Hell in a Cell matches, I would say, were very fun, even though they weren't in front of a crowd, which is crazy. I just have uh, so much fun getting creative with those matches. Um, and then there was a match I had with Charlotte on a live event. It was the first NXT live event outside of Florida in Columbus, Ohio. And her dad, Ric Flair, managed her that night. So I got to interact with him throughout the match. Um, before I gave her a big Rana off the top rope, I looked at him and said, I'm sorry, I love you. And the crowd <laughs> was like insane. So that was one of my funnest times ever. That's awesome. And then the last question I had, uh, what's the funniest thing you've ever said to Michael Cole while he's on the air? And, uh, what's your, what's your legitimate <laughs> opinion of the job that he does and what are you going to do now that he's off uh, SmackDown? <laughs> uh, Honestly, he's the greatest at what he does. He has done this for, what, 25 years? I can't even imagine. And being able to be consistent with that and just being able to – he just did two shows every week. I get tired doing one. Like, I will give him all his flowers and his respect and all that stuff. But I don't know if it was the funniest thing I've ever said, but the funniest thing he's ever said that I got to make fun of him was when he called Bianca Balanca. Because he was so excited, like she had won a match or something, and he's like, "Belanca's done it!" And I just looked at him. I'm like, "Belanca!" And he had the look on his face, like, "Damn it, she's never gonna let that down." So uh, that's probably my favorite one. That is fantastic, uh, yeah. Bailey. Thank you so much for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. All the best of luck for your big plan for the Royal Rumble, and uh, really enjoy uh, getting to watch your career and uh, all the different uh, steps along the way. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Have a good thank one. Thank you. You too. Thanks again, everyone, for joining me today on Under the Ring Pro Wrestling Conversations. I'd like to thank Bailey for joining me today. I'd also like to thank Chuck Kingsbury from WWE for helping set this up. Follow me on Twitter at Under the Ring for the latest guest announcements, and have a great week, everyone. Yeah.